Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a yo man she. And I am Michael Waffle Street. Welcome to episode 232, Starcade 1996. Not your typical warm, fuzzy holiday special. Not at all. <laughs> wonderful, like, surprising line reading. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Wow. Wow. So this is this is the the final pay per view of '96, eh? Final one. We're here. We're here to tie a bow on it, guys. <laughs> Good God, tie a bow on it or hang ourselves with that bow. I guess we'll find out. You never know with a Starcade. Uh, you never true. do know with a Starcade. So this is the 14th annual Starcade produced by WCW. We've watched 14 of these guys. Yeah, you have. Can you believe we've watched 14 Starcades? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it means we've watched. 12 Manias? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there's got, two Starcades before the first yeah. Mania. Mania 13 coming in 97. Coming in hot. It's just insane to me. Yeah. But this would take place on December 29th, 1996 from the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. With an attendance of 9,030 people. Hey, it's a good crowd. More than last time. Well, more than WWF last time. But less than the WCW show, World, where what was it? World, 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 World War Three. Yeah, World War Three. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what this building looks like. I feel like I enjoyed the look of this building, and uh, it felt pretty filled up. But nine thousand people in a municipal auditorium. This is not a basketball. Yeah, I think it's arena. like a ten thousand seat arena. Probably. Yeah, yeah, not bad. But we are in Nashville. Yeah, we are. So Shane, did you do what you do? Oh, sweet lord, did I? Here we are, back in Nashville, Tennessee. We've been here a few different times. We brought some different snacks. I know we've done a a biscuit. We've done cocktails. Oh, biscuit was so good, wasn't it? I I had that biscuit in mind as I was choosing today's, but it's, this one's good. But I think the biscuit was better. I don't even know why I said I think the biscuit was better. Went to a place here in Oklahoma City known as the Waffle Press Company, Waffle Press Co. to be exact. As I've mentioned before, the official sandwich of Tennessee is the Elvis. It's a popular snack that I don't know if he came up with or if it was just something that was made famous. Yeah, yeah, made famous by the Kang. But it is uh, typically a sandwich that consists of peanut butter, bananas, bacon little bit of honey. In this case, it is all spread out and drizzled and whatnot over the top of a waffle. Which seems um, like an even better way to... Oh yeah, I mean it's, it's less messy, I, I will admit that, because it's it's a knife and fork version instead of a pick up a biscuit sandwich and take a bite and try and keep stuff from falling out of it. Oh yeah, I wonder what the Elvis, how Elvis ate this on a sandwich. Did he eat it on a biscuit? Did he eat it on white bread? Probably white bread. Yeah. I think it seems to be a white, yeah, white bread, bread kind of guy. White bread seems like it would be less less of a mess. I'd think so. Yeah, but, a biscuit would be crazy. I mean, 
it's the king, so he may have had white bread made out of biscuit dough, for all we know. Who knows? He looked like biscuit dough towards the end. We have a, however you pronounce it, liege waffle. What is a liege waffle? Uh, It's like a... Never heard a of fancy it. version of a Bel- or a fancy way of saying Belgian, Belgian waffle. Okay, is that like a place in Belgium? I believe so. I, don't even I think know. it's a city. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's not as thin as your typical waffle would be. Like you go to Waffle House, it's a little sweeter than a Belgian waffle because of the pearl sugar. Oh, oh. well, there we go. So the so dough is got... much thicker than your usual waffle batter, which we discussed because mm-hmm. I was like. You're gonna need a fork to cut through this. Yeah, it's not a not a uh, or a knife to cut through it. It's yeah. not a crispy not a on the outside, warm, soft, and dreamy on the inside. And it, I mean, touch wise, it is literally what it is. Yeah. And then it's got peanut butter smeared on it, sliced bananas, some bacon crumbles, and then it's just drizzled with honey. I mean, it's got that sweet, salty, savory, extra sweet from the pearl sugar, and then the honey, and yeah. I went ahead and had them pick me up a Dunkin' Coffee on the way with it because A, I love my coffee, and B, it just sounded like it would be the right thing to drink with this. So. Yeah, definitely, probably mm. a very good choice. But yeah, I've never been to the uh, Press Waffle Co. before, but I'm going to have to go back and try some of their other stuff because they've got Absolutely. chicken and waffles. They've got one that was called the the House Waffle, strawberries, Cookie butter, Nutella, and house-made whipped cream. They've got a chicken and waffles. They've got one called the Southern Bell that has lemon curd, fresh blueberry, house-made whipped cream. Oh, that'd, be, that'd probably be delicious. That's the one for me is uh, lemon anything. Although the strawberry one sounds nice, but cookie butter and Nutella? Sounds a little like overkill, guys. What are we doing here? I'm sure it's delicious, but it's, in America, like, it's like, my God. <laughs> Pick up. Uh, yeah. They've got the Cristo which is a waffle sandwich stuffed with black forest ham, smoked turkey, melted white American cheese, and berry jam inside of our golden liege waffle. Yeah, whatever happened to the Monte Cristo? I feel like it was a, like, uh... You find like, it still in diners and yeah. stuff. It feels like it was like an Applebee's or Bennigan's thing you saw, like, in the 90s all the time. Who doesn't? Bennigan sounds more correct. I know Beverly's had one. I want to say, where else did I see one? It's a monstrosity that I would be embarrassed to order, but I have had one as a kid, and it was great. Oh, yeah. They've got one called the Happy Camper, which is like a s'mores-themed one. Interesting. Fire-toasted mini marshmallows, chocolate syrup, and cookie butter, a.k.a. liquid graham crackers, on top of our golden liege waffle. You've got the American, which is a golden liege waffle smothered with melty cheddar cheese, bacon crumbles, maple syrup, and topped off with a fried or scrambled eggs. Or you can build your own. Marshmallows and uh, scrambled egg, please. And lemon curd. <laughs> and lemon curd. And they've got an ice cream sandwich. Sounds like they got just a whole bunch of everything right yep. there. Well, like we have All chicken and waffles, waffles and then a bunch of sugar. <laughs> so if you are ever in Oklahoma City, give them a try. I'm going to do what I do and take a bite on the microphone because why not? Here we go. I'm so no real sound effects from that one. And now you won't be able to talk for like a minute because of the peanut butter. Ah, yeah. uh, don't worry about that. But something that would happen right around the same time, Starcade 96, The Adventures of Pete and Pete would air its last episode the day before. Probably my all-time favorite television show. I'm going to say probably time for me to take another bite of this waffle. Oh, Shane. 
So good. I mean, it was a good show, but I didn't really watch much of it because I was 19. Yeah. I will say that it uh, holds up incredibly well as it was adult humor, but not in like a gross way. It could be enjoyed by adults and children alike still. I'm so mad that they've never released it fully on DVD. They have not. I have the first two seasons on DVD. That's only... They never did the third, but I have all... uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on it, but there's somebody on Instagram who sells... They basically package old bootleg stuff, stuff, but they call it the Slime Tyrion (laughs) collection, and they have... uh, It looks like the packaging they do is like really nice, but they have... I think it's like 30 bucks, but it's all three seasons of Pete and Pete. Nice. And I've meant to uh, purchase it, but have not because you have to like DM them or whatever because yeah. it's technically illegal to just open a store and sell bootleg Pete, stuff. Pete, yeah. Pete bootlegs. But they're doing the Lord's work. So if, yeah, if you can track down this show, I would highly suggest giving it a shot. It's also kind of a... Like I say, if you don't want your stuff... Uh... Pirated. Make it available. Make it available. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, I mean, yeah, if they put out the, if Nickelodeon ever did put out the third season on DVD, I would have had all three of them. But, uh, shows, of course, there's a lot of nostalgia for me, but I feel like that even if you've never seen it, it would probably still bring up some nostalgic feelings of just being a kid in general. Uh, and then if you're older, you can understand the adult characters more and it makes the children because they're all every character's got a thing even funnier incredible uh soundtrack as well incredible theme song lots of a lot of like famous people have cameos in the show debbie harry iggy pop i believe steve buscemi shows up at some point i think iggy pop plays one of the characters fathers it's been a while since i watched but yeah it, there's a incredible amount of character actors and famous people that show up in the show. It's got a very very strong voice. The two guys that created it knew what they were doing. Also, fun fact: the Nickelodeon movie Snow Day. It was originally um, written as a Pete and Pete movie, but Pete and Pete was ending, so they just changed it around to make it you know a standalone thing. But it, there's still got some of the voice in it, although it's not as good. It wasn't out yet. I think we just talked about it oh. when we were talking about another. Nickelodeon thing or whatever. Uh, something else that came up. We we'll so probably talked about it in the Nickelodeon. getting a Pete and Pete reboot. Uh, probably not. I think the two guys, the two they, they do a brothers. Podcast, yeah, they do a podcast. I've never listened we to it. We talking Pete and Pete or the creators? Pete and Pete. Pete, and Pete. Okay. I'm sure that they've... they've it, I feel like it's one of those shows that's got a big enough cult following that they probably do like fan weekend stuff. It's the only thing I remember older Pete doing after that show was Slackers, where he has a scene where he yeah. sings to his or with his own little Pete-ness. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get you. Uh, the, and of course, Danny Tamborelli went on to do all that for a long time and plenty of other things. He just kind of showed up for a while. And that was the younger brother? Yep. And then Michelle Trackenberg was Harriet the Spy. She was on the show as well. I didn't realize she was on that. Heather, yep. Heather Matarazaro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her. Who? I always struggle to say her Heather name, Heather Matarazzo. Matarazzo. What character who did she play? Matarazzo. Heather Matarazzo. She played Natasha. She was little Pete's friend. She forced herself to stay awake by pulling her pigtails. Oh, okay. I'd have to see her face. She wasn't as big of a character she's, as, as she's Nona. Kinda you has would recognize one of those, her. 
She's kind of been a, a fugly character in a lot of shows. Oh, yeah. She was DJ's friend and slash girlfriend on Roseanne. She was in Scream. She played Jamie oh, Kennedy's yep. Yep. little I can, sister. I know exactly who that is. I, I Welcome to the Dollhouse. Her... Oh, yeah. The House Bunny. Uh, I never saw House Bunny. Welcome to Dollhouse. Welcome to Dollhouse. Good movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. A little upsetting. Yeah, Welcome to Dollhouse. That was her big break. Or not her big break, but that was what put her out there. As a, a somebody. But yeah. LL Cool J was a teacher on an episode. Yeah, it's just Alicia, Alicia Keys was a student. Oh, wow. I did, not, I did not know that, but I also didn't know who Alicia Keys was when the show was coming out because she was not uh, famous yet. No, that, she took was, a, that was she a few was years for later. Being a whatever in Pete and Pete. Michael Stipe showed up on an episode. Dang. J.K. Yep. Simmons. Yeah, it's like full of wonderful character actors and a lot of musicians because I assume that they probably either I mean, yeah just yeah like the, the amount of musicians that have been named so far <laughs> yeah like obviously the guys that wrote the show were fans of musicians and I assume that the musicians uh, enjoyed the script because like I said it does it can appeal to people of all ages uh, very very easily it is uh, not a hard watch couldn't give it a higher recommendation yeah, I mean, it was... I remember the few little episodes that I saw of it, I thought were good, but, again, I was 19, yeah. college, watching wrestling. That, yeah. That had my attention. Yeah, you were flipping the Nickelodeon and regularly. Trying to figure out how to come out, when to come out. <laughs> I didn't figure Pete and Pete would be a good addition to the mix. Yeah, it's filled with real-looking people. Nobody in the show is like conventionally attractive or whatever. Everybody feels like a real like real you know person. midwestern or like northern landlocked state vibe about them. And then Little Pete had a tattoo on his arm, right? Uh huh. Petunia, yeah. who was in the credits every time, I said, and Petunia, make her wiggle. Nobody knew when or where he got it. Mom had a plate in her head, pick up radio signals and stuff. <laughs> it's like it's just yeah, it's got a very good sense of humor. Let's get to Starcade, and we see clips from the various confrontations between Hogan and Piper. Narration tells us two of the wrestling's biggest icons will lock up in this all-important reunion. We get sound bites of Roddy saying he walks alone, that he doesn't represent WCW, while Hollywood leads the NWO, promising to break Piper in half. And Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show. Joined by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan. And the dream talks about Roddy's keys to victory. That he needs to reach way down to win. Before the Brain tells Hogan that it's going to be the longest night of his life. Saying he has never defeated Piper. Never. And Tony talks about the NWO gaining numbers. That Hollywood is surrounding himself with protection. Because in just the few weeks since we've... Seen World War Three, Marcus Bagwell, oh. Michael Wall Street, and oh. Big Bubba have all joined the ranks. So has he officially become Buff, or is he still just Marcus? He might be Buff at this point. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if Buff came along with Steiner or. Because basically, Eric Bischoff went went out and said that everyone had 30 days to convert their WCW contract to an NWO one. And they were the three that so far were like, okay. Yeah. And everyone else kind of went, 
Yeah, whatever. You're still gonna pay me. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> also like, what kind of true addition to NWO is that? It doesn't feel like it makes them any more interesting. Contractually yeah. obligated to be in. It's the NWO. called. <laughs> the NWO have not lost a match. Yeah. At this point, and so they need some people to put in matches to lose. To lose. Yeah, and the other guys aren't going to do it. The current their well, contracts say they don't have to. Yeah, and I feel like it's interesting because on this show, like I don't remember seeing them in any NWO stuff at all. But I guess they're the TV's NWO. And TV's NWO. Must be on. Yeah. They're the B team. TBS Saturday Night. Mm-hmm. So we go to our first match: Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono versus Dean Malenko in a title unification match for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. And the J Crown Championship. Eight belts. Nine. Nine. Nine belts. belts. And of course, Mike Tanay joins us on commentary. That's right. As our competitors go through a feeling out process to start. Dragon takes over with some kicks, only for Dean to respond with a back suplex and holds to wear down Ultimo. Until he escapes to deliver a snap suplex for a two count. Dragon then applies a half crab before transitioning into an STF. But Malenko powers out to send Ultimo running the ropes, leaping over an attempted monkey flip to smash Dean's head into a turnbuckle. Malenko retaliates by whipping Dragon to a corner where he goes to leap up and over the charging Dean. But the man of a thousand holds shoves him off the apron before forearming out to the floor. Malenko goes for a baseball slide only for Ultimo to avoid and body slam Dean down, before returning to the ring to fly out with a tope suicida. And today tells us that the winner of this match will be facing Jushin Thunder Liger at the Tokyo Dome, while they roll back into the ring for Dragon to drop some elbows for a two count. Crazy that this American WCW show is selling up to January 4th match with, you know, a very big star. Malenko fires back with a vertical suplex and a sunset flip for a near fall, but Ultimo responds with a neckbreaker and working the back of Dean, until Dragon is stunned by another back suplex. Yeah, I'm Dean. And Malenko nails a released German for a two count, before going to work on the legs of Ultimo with holds, shin breakers, and a drop kick to the knee. And Dragon is able to make the ropes to force a break, so Dean goes to whip his opponent only for it to be reversed, with Ultimo following with a handspring elbow that Malenko avoids before power-slamming Dragon. Now Dean tries for a German suplex, only for Ultimo to elbow out of the predicament, before nailing a spinning heel kick and a powerbomb for an airfall. I mean, you can't keep going back to the well, Dean. You're a man of a thousand holds. That's you right. just landed a German. You gotta try one other different, you know, different move. Mm-hmm. Maybe a fisherman suplex. Dragon goes for a tombstone, but Malenko reverses it into a jumping tombstone pile driver for the pin, and no, Ultimo kicks out. Dean calls for the cloverleaf, only for Dragon to immediately make his way to the ropes to avoid. So Malenko delivers a butterfly powerbomb with a jackknife cover for the pin, and no, Ultimo kicks out again. Dean hits a crossbody that sends them both out to the floor, which he takes a second to catch his breath. That allows Dragon to knock Malenko back down to the concrete 
before leaping out with an ACI moonsault. Back in the ring, Ultimo heads up top, which Dean meets him there to attempt a back superplex. But Dragon is able to elbow Malenko away before leaping off with a moonsault, only for Dean to have moved in time. Yeah, take that. Ultimo grabs his knee in pain, so Malenko locks on the Texas Cloverleaf in the middle of the ring until Sonny Ono hops on the apron, causing Dean to drop the hold. And Malenko goes to apply it again, only for the dragon to roll him up for a two count. Now Dean retaliates with a clothesline and a brainbuster for a near fall. He goes for another suplex, only for Ultimo to float over, leading to the two men fighting over a full Nelson, until Dragon hooks the arms to nail a tiger suplex for the pin and the win. And new Ultimo Dragon now holds nine titles. And this match was great. Love it. But I wish they didn't tell me about the Liger thing because now I'm like, well, I assume Ultimo Dragon is going to win. And he did. But I did have some uh, hope for Dean at plenty of points in the match. And that's just one of those things that, like, you you know. Did you give away the ending to their match? (laughs) We already talked about it. I, maybe I assume people at the time probably didn't think that way necessarily. Yeah, they probably just thought Dean would catch a flight over to Japan. Yeah, yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just feel like it's like, well, Dean's not as big in Japan as Ultima Dragon, and I know it's a January show, so it was just one of those things that's obvious to me in hindsight. Yeah. Probably not much of a spoiler at the time. Well, then it makes me wonder how long of a match Ultima Dragon and juicing are going to have because the one match that we saw them have already was one that i really really enjoyed and it was like two and a half minutes worth so i mean to cover this one in a january show i'm looking forward to it i don't know i haven't seen the schedule but uh, i'd like to think that if it's in the tokyo dome matt and it's new japan that probably has on the docket yeah I'm figuring so. I just hope it's one of the ones oh, we get to watch. Okay, cool. de- Or Oscar, yeah. that there's video footage of it for us to watch. That's typically the problem. Yeah, as a dome there, show, there, there's there probably a full show. <laughs> All those things happen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's not a tournament show. It's a it'd be on like a, a big boy show, so that gives me hope that we'll get the whole match. WCW, IGPW, Super Show. Something. Oh, yeah. They might be over there. Who knows? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean it's a dome show. It's pre-calling it Wrestle Kingdom, but they always have their big show January fourth. So, either way, Ultimo now has nine titles. Yeah, again. So we go to our second match: Akira Hokuto with Sunny Ono and Kazuke Sasaki versus Medusa in the finals of the WCW Women's Championship Tournament. Did you even know there was a Women's Championship Tournament going on? No, probably not. I did not either. I wonder how many matches they had. So the last time we saw Hokuto was at World War III 95, episode 173. Sasaki at G1 Climax Final 96, episode 214. And Medusa at Hog Wild 96, ah, where episode she, 215. Where she beat up a Kawasaki. Now did, remind me, did Hokuto used to be... The occasional tag partner of Bull Nakano. I remember picturing somebody different. So I remember there was somebody... I thought that she tagged with her. I think that's who she tagged with at the Collision in Korea okay. show. Yeah. But... I just remember somebody with like this 
extreme get up walking down to the ring and knowing and like that they were kind of tiger makeup they were getting married to or had just gotten married to <laughs> Kensuke Sasaki well they actually met at the collision in Korea show is oh. where they met and then they got married after that okay yeah so this tournament was, had been held to crown an inaugural champion Hokuto had defeated Mako Satomura who you might recognize as a name from from nowadays she's a legend in Joshi wrestling okay. yeah I mean uh, the feels like all the women like Japanese women we've seen we've seen the legends yeah. at this point uh, she also defeated uh, Kaori to make it to the finals while Medusa had bested Zero and Reina Jabuki, who was actually Akira Hokuto under a mask. Oh, uh, that's fun. Where they're like, okay, well, we don't have another person. We'll just use her again. Exactly. Put her in a mask. Like, dang, where's Bertha? We got, we got just <laughs> all <laughs> Japanese names. <clears throat> and Medusa. And Medusa, exactly. The so Japanese women are... Lee Marshall joins commentary because he's an expert on women. Obviously. <laughs> Maybe he's had a few meal order brides or something. Who knows? <laughs> I think that she tagged with my Mayanami Toyota, not okay, not Volmakano. Uh, yeah, because yeah, like they're kind of two of the bigger names, so you want to keep them separated so they can have big singles matches. Keep it separated. Mm-hmm. So Medusa comes out waving an American flag and yelling "Ho!" That's <laughs> uh, terrible. Oh, maybe not the second. Part. <laughs> And Akira jumps Medusa as the bell rings, slinging her around by the hair several times. But Medusa returns the favor before attempting to run the ropes, only for Ono to trip her up. The women always do that hair toss, and it always looks so brutal. It always looks so brutal, but then at the same time, in my brain, all I'm thinking is, we've gone so far to get away from this. We've gone so far to get away from this. Stop it. I think it works when... The women can wrestle, but when that's all they do, it's another thing. It's just like them kind of... It's their uh, snap mare or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Hip toss. Hair toss. And Kazuki doesn't seem to like the Ono interference. No. But Akudo takes advantage by choke-lifting Medusa on the ropes, only for her to retaliate with a handstand head scissors of Akira down to the mat. And Medusa doesn't capitalize as she starts yelling at Sunny allowing Hokuto to regain control with chokes and a sharpshooter before transitioning into an SDF until she loses grip, so she starts biting Medusa's shoe. Maybe you should have went for the ankle or the calf. Shoes, you know, it's, I know they're wrestling shoes, but I don't think you're getting through there. Akira hits a body slam and makes a cover, only for Medusa to bridge out and start to run the ropes to deliver multiple sling blades. Medusa with a body slam of her own for a one count only for Akira to grab the throat to choke lift Medusa in response. Get her. Akudo nails a bridging northern light suplex for a near fall, transitions into a cross arm breaker, but releases it to whip Medusa to the rope, who counters with a sloppy DDT. Very sloppy. Mm-hmm. She follows it up with a body slam attempt, only for Akira to float over and deliver a bridging German suplex for a two count. And Marshall makes the comment that Kanzuke and Akuda share holds on each other. With Dusty saying, I bet that's not all they share. <laughs> As Medusa hits a tornado DDT and a powerbomb for a near fall. Dusty with the perverted commentary. 
Medusa tries for another power bomb, but Akira looks to float over, but she ends up just taking them both over for a two count. Akuto goes for several kicks, which Medusa shoves away, catching Akira for a bridging German suplex for the pin, and no, Akuto kicks out. And Medusa heads up top, only for Akira to meet her there for a superplex for the pin, and no, Medusa kicks out. And Akuto now climbs, but Medusa drop kicks her out to the floor, with the ref starting a 10 count, allowing Ono to run in with the Medusa's flagpole to whack her in the back. Breaks it right over her back. Akira climbs back up to the top and comes back in with a missile drop kick, followed by a Northern Lights bomb for the pin and, and the win. And new post match. Kanzuke still isn't very happy yelling at Sunny for all of the interference. She didn't want to win it this way. Or maybe she did. But he didn't want her to win it that way. We know that for sure. Like, I think Kanzuke forgets that she's the heel in this match. Yeah. He's, he's an honorable man. Tony then sends us to the CompuServe room. Where a WCW employee is typing what Diamond Dallas Page says... He says, it's not yoga, it's DDPY. <laughs> While DDP blows cigar smoke in his face. And the employee asks Paige for his thoughts on Eddie Guerrero, with DDP calling it a stupid question, because everyone already knows my thoughts. Good God! We then go to Mean Gene in the locker room, welcoming in Rowdy Roddy Piper. And Oakland recaps how we've gotten here, saying Hogan has stirred up a hornet's nest. I mean, yeah, it's a piper. And Roddy just laughs and begins rambling about singing like a vulture, calling himself a midget compared to Hollywood. Because he's six foot seven. He continues with, will his match be a walk in the park? Yeah, Jurassic Park. <laughs> Dinosaurs. Before taking offense to people implying that they are the only icons of wrestling. Name dropping Dusty Rhodes. Strangler Lewis and Gorgeous George. Ah, uh, what a what a face move, and a nice nod to our you know past stars. Piper says he's a man in a dress and can call it that because he's tough enough, and then he carries bagpipes because a piano would be too heavy. Says <laughs> Piper, he never knows what he's gonna say, but he goes out there and even no ma- no matter how little sense it makes it doesn't stop from being fun or you think twice about it where you're like ooh he miffed that one it's like it's all it's all energy he could say anything he wanted he continues that he's had a hard life he has six kids he left home at 13 but he's not given up piper keeps going with of course it's the season gettings that's tidings in reverse <laughs> okay like I said, doesn't have to make sense. Followed it by saying it's better to give than receive. So he gives the camera a hip thrust. He also claims if you put Hogan's ego in Roseanne's bra, then put it on your head, it would be a yarmulke. And Mean Gene asks about the hip, but Roddy doesn't speak. He just starts hopping on one leg and then out a frame. Like it, a bunny. It's so, so, so wildly unhinged. Not, I mean, it's we've all seen Piper promos, but it's it's Piper unhinged. It's not Ultimate Warrior unhinged, yeah. which I also appreciate in a different way. 
I like his Warriors promos more than his matches. <laughs> so we go to our third match. Jushin, Thunder, Liger versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Come on, guys. Our first three matches with names like this, that's all I ever want. Yeah. And we haven't seen Jushin since the J-Crown Tournament in episode 213. And since then, he's also had surgery for a brain tumor. Damn. Yeah, I uh, don't know that I'd known that before about the brain tumor, but uh, they let us know on commentary, and I was like, Jesus. I literally looked at Cage Match. He only was gone for like a month. Like, like he that two-minute match in the J-Crown mm-hmm. tournament, and then he was out for like a month, and then came back and... And, like, that was Tag League. Damn. That thing must have been just, like, you know, chilling on the top or something. It's not a tumor. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, that's insane. Yeah. And Mike Tanay is back to help commentary for this one. And the two men shake hands before they trade holds and takedowns until Liger starts to control with a stalling suplex and a powerbomb. Jushin tries for a pop-up powerbomb, only for Mysterio to counter with a pair of Huracaranas to take Liger out to the floor. Now once Jushin gets back to the apron, Ray attacks again with a shoulder block and tries to bring Liger in the hard way, only for it to be reversed, sending Mysterio crashing out to the floor. Now Jushin powerbombs Ray once again outside the ring before taking the action inside, where Liger takes Mysterio to the top turnbuckle, but he's shoved off, allowing Ray to leap off with a missile dropkick that Jushin just sidesteps. Yeah. This is uh, Joe's inspiration. And Liger continues the punishment with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker and a surfboard before going for a vertical suplex, only for Mysterio to float over and nail a German suplex and a standing moonsault for a two-count. Now Ray delivers a DDT and a split-legged moonsault for a near fall. He follows it up with a springboard dropkick before working the back with a reverse chin lock. And Mysterio releases the hold for another springboard, but Jushin catches him in mid-air with a dropkick, followed by a released German, a half-crab, and a dragon screw leg whip, which Dusty just thinks is a funny name for a move. What was that, a a, a dragon screw? He always gets a kick out of these moves having a name. He's like, well, there's only seven wrestling moves, guys. What are we talking about? (laughs) Liger continues with a kapoo kick, but a reversed whip allows Ray to deliver a monkey flip and a spinning heel kick. He then charges into a corner, where Jushin places him on the turnbuckle and attempts a showtie, only for Mysterio to block and leap off into a head scissors. A reversed whip sends Ray over the ropes to the apron, with Liger charging in with a baseball slide that Mysterio leapfrogs back into the ring to avoid, before nailing a drop kick and an ACI moonsault out to the floor. And as they're climbing back in the ring, Ray springboards into a leg drop onto Jushin caught on the ropes for a two count. And Mysterio tries for another in the middle of the ring, only for Liger to move in time and head up top for a flying headbutt for a near fall. Flying headbutt? Come on, man. Maybe that's how he got rid of his tumor. He knocked it out of his ear. (laughs) Jushin chops Ray to a corner, but he has his whip reversed, with Mysterio charging in only to be back body dropped out to the apron where the two trade strikes until Ray goes for a springboard which Liger counters by just shoving him off to the floor. (laughs) Get out of here with your fancy shit. And Jushin climbs to the top but Mysterio knocks his feet out from under him 
allowing Ray to attempt a springboard Rana, only for Liger to shove him off again to the mat, followed by another kapoo kick. I love that Liger just starts like quasi-bullying him. It's like, enough of the flipping around, man. I'm just going to push you down. Jushin would then nail a Liger bomb for the pin and, and the, the win. win. God damn it. I love Jushin Liger. I love that everything he does seems so like sure-footed. He's not the biggest guy, but he he seems like somehow dense and sturdy, and everything he does looks so crisp and has a weight to it. And he's not he does flashy stuff, but it's not typically for the sake of it being. It doesn't feel like it's for the sake of it being flashy. It just what a treasure. Agreed. So we go to our fourth match. Chris Benoit with Woman versus Jeff Jarrett in a no-DQ match. And the hits just keep on coming. So the story behind this match was that even though Ric Flair had endorsed Double J as a horseman, the Crippler still disagreed. Also, Woman, by this point, had all but admitted that she was married to Kevin Sullivan, but had told him that it was over. And Benoit and Woman had been spending more time together, which caused the rest of the horsemen to feel the crippler was distracted. So Rick's the only one that's allowed to get some, you know. Rick's the only one to hang out with Woman outside of the ring? <laughs> yeah, Rick's the only one that's allowed to, I was going to say something vulgar, but yeah. he's the only one that's out there allowed to get some. But I guess Rick will take a different lady or ladies each night, whereas Benoit, he's a... Uh, a one-woman kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, they work together. So, so the bickering. Rick's just loving them and leaving them and going to the next town. It's different. The two men have a feeling out process to start until Benoit slaps Jarrett. So it turns into trading strikes and mocking each other. Before devolving even further into stomps and wild punches that lead to the floor where woman distracts Double J allowing the Crippler to deck him from behind. The back of the ring, Benoit is able to catapult Jarrett into a turnbuckle before taking him up top, only for Double J to shove off a superplex attempt, followed by choking the Crippler on the ropes and going for a running straddle. The woman moves her man out of the way just in time. See, she's a good woman. Benoit hits a clothesline for a two count before just tossing Double J out to the floor where the Crippler takes advantage of the lack of rules to dump Jarrett into the front row. And after the two trade dumping the other into a guardrail, they head back into the ring, where Benoit delivers a back suplex for an airfall. The Crippler applies a sleeper to take Double J down to the mat, using leverage for more pressure, but Jarrett rallies to escape with a back suplex of his own. And Benoit telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Double J to roll him up for a two count before hitting a turnbuckle smash, but after a reversed whip, the Crippler charges into a boot. So Jarrett then goes for a second rope elbow drop, only for Benoit to get his boot up into Double J's chin. The Crippler lights up Jarrett with turnbuckle smashes and chops, but it seems to just fire up Double J to deliver a drop kick for a near fall, followed by a belly-to-belly overhead suplex that sends Benoit out to the apron. And the two fight over a suplex, with Jarrett finally getting him up for a rubber band slam. Followed by a figure four attempt, only for Woman to prevent it 
by raking Double J's eyes, allowing the Crippler to roll out to regroup. And Arn Anderson makes his way down the aisle, but he passes right by Benoit to stand in Jarrett's corner. Ah, the tension. And the Crippler rolls back in, and the two trade strikes, with Double J hitting a back body drop to send Benoit out to the floor, with Jarrett giving chase, only to be head-slammed into the apron. And the two men continue to brawl around ringside when Conan and Hugh Morris would run out to attack Woman, but she fends them off with kicks to their Dungeons of Doom. And Double J rolls the Crippler back into the ring, while Kevin Sullivan has climbed in as well with a wooden chair to smash over Benoit's head. And oh, does it explode. Before Double A stops Jarrett from getting into the ring with a DDT on the floor. The Enforcer then rolls Double J into the ring, but he ends up with his arm draped across the Crippler. For the pin, and the win. With Anderson looking on very confused. I know. Anderson was just was trying to be tricky. Post-match, Arn blames Woman for the horseman loss before leaving to the back. A mean Gene tries to stop Double A for an interview, but he just blows right past Oakland. And Jarrett and Benoit do the same, but then Mongo and Deborah come out. Good I like how everybody that walked by kind of did their own, I'm not talk. And Gene asks about the state of the horsemen, thinking the group could go up in smoke, with Michael answering with some unintelligible yelling about hook em up and something about a mosquito. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> God, Mongo, I hate him. I hate him! He's a stinker. Steve continues speaking about running people out of Chicago with a bus ticket and an apple in their hand before telling the crippler that woman's got him out of his mind, that they fed Double J to him on a platter, and he lost. Deborah then chimes in with praise for Jarrett, saying he's horseman material, but she doesn't think much of woman. That she has been rode hard and put away wet too many times. Damn. Which causes Mean Gene to almost drop his mic. <laughs> yeah. Deborah then wants to talk about herself, knowing that all the men wanted her under their Christmas tree, that she is too much woman for any of them, and that she only has eyes for her Stevie. <laughs> and Oakland really thinks that the horsemen are in trouble. Shivani then sends us to a video package about Sting that includes distorted sound bites and footage of the Stinger's recent behavior. And we see Lex Luger and Rick Steiner give interviews saying they don't understand what he's doing. Why is he attacking people? Is he NWO or not? That's the question on everyone's mind. He's wearing the black and white. He's dressed like NWO. Yeah, a true testament to uh, the concept that sometimes less is more. Yep. So we go to our fifth match. The Outsiders of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash with six. Versus the Faces of Fear of Ming and Barbarian with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Are these Faces of Fear jackets new? I just noticed they had cool, cool ring jackets. I was like, oh, those are neat. I don't know if I'd seen them before. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, neither. I just figured I'd ask. But you know what I did notice? What? 
the champs came out first. <sighs> Foreshadowing. I got. I mean, like those are the the slight things you can do for somebody that reads too much into wrestling, probably at the time and and uh, now. Where I'm like, hmm, hmm, hmm. What, how much would I love to see the outsiders fucking get pinned? And now wow. it feels like it might be an option. Ming and Hall started off with the tongue and landing a short arm clothesline, chops, and tossing Scott around the ring, only to charge into a boot, allowing Hall to nail a second rope bulldog. Ming comes right back with more chops and a boot to the gut, before bringing in Barbie, but Scott just spits in his face, followed by Taggy Ginn Nash. And the Barbarian's taken to the corner with knee lifts and elbows, but he retaliates with a back elbow on a Kevin charge in. Followed by chokes and chops, which brings the ref in to separate the two, allowing Nash to deliver a cheap shot when Barbie turns to confront Nick Patrick. And Ming jumps in the ring with a clothesline, and the faces of fear get to clubbering, but they telegraph a back body drop. So Kevin hits a double noggin knocker, only for us to all know that that's a mistake as they return the favor. No, no, no. With a double headbutt and a barbarian side slam. For a two count. Yeah, Barbarian is um, an honorary man of the island. That's right. He's, he's shrunk a few head or two. Mm-hmm. Barbie then comes off the second rope with an elbow drop, only for Nash to move in time, allowing him to nail Snake Eyes, followed by Hall Clothesline from the apron. And Kevin uses his boot to choke Barbie in a corner, so Patrick backs him up, allowing Scott to hit another clothesline from the apron. And Hall's tagged in to keep up the attack when Ming would grab at him, dragging him back towards their corner, allowing for more double-team clubbering when Barbarian would send Scott to the ropes, where the Tongan would hit him with a forearm to the back of the head, sending Hall stumbling right into a kick of fear from Barbie for a very slow two-count. I hate to see it, but this is good. This is very nice. Ming returns to drop Scott with a pile driver for a near fall. Barbarian with a power bomb for another slow two count. Faces of fear with an inverted atomic drop kick of fear combo. Before Barbie goes to a nerve hole. Now Hall reverses a whip to send Barbarian to the ropes where Nash nails a forearm from the apron. Followed by a clothesline from Scott which brings Jimmy Hart up to the apron to complain only for Six to come over and end up chasing Jimmy to the back. And Barbie has regained control with another nerve hold. Only for Hall to escape with a back suplex, allowing him to make the crawl for the hot tag. Kevin with right hands and a big boot to Barbarian. He makes the cover, but Ming jumps in with an elbow drop to break it up. And Scott and the Tongan fight their way out to the floor, when Barbie misses another kick of fear to Nash, allowing Kevin to deliver a jackknife powerbomb for the pin and the win. Dusty Rhodes said Suple. I had a, I had a tear in my eye for... Uh, <laughs> I think Tony almost orgasmed when he did it. Yeah, yeah, for, uh, for old... Um, Gore Gordon. Gordon, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, this was much better than I Gordon expected. Gordon Soleil. Gordon Soleil. <laughs> Soleil Moon Guy. Yeah. Soleil Moon Pie. 
All zombie. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a callback to a previous episode. But this is this the best match that the Outsiders have had in WCW? I think it might be. Yeah. I think it totally is. This was great. And you know why? Because they didn't throw too much all into one match. They didn't try and do a triangle thing. There was some interference, but they had... They wrestled. Yeah. I mean, the most interference let, was really just the slow counts. Yeah. They let the Faces of Fear actually have some sort of offense instead of just... Scott Hall bumped his ass off in this match. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's fucking Ming and Barbarian. He has to have some kind of respect for these guys. And these guys are big enough to be able to pick him up and put him down, like, safely. And we know that they can, because they're consummate professionals. It's like they heard our sighs and eye rolls 27 years <laughs> yeah. early after we reviewed the, the last match that they had. Yeah, and also it's like, well... Like they probably have a lot more respect for these guys than the nasty boys. They're afraid of me. Yeah, they should be. <laughs> um, but yeah, the fucking five matches into Starcade. No stinkers. No stinkers. Yeah. No stinkers, man. Don't jinx fucking, us. I know. I'm just excited. <laughs> Ted DiBiase's backstage with Hollywood Hogan, Vincent, and Miss Elizabeth. I love the NWO flags in the back. It's like, oh no, this is our show. Ted says Piper got what he wanted, but he will regret it. Before Hogan claims he told his friends in California that he already won on Pacific time, so they don't know yet, causing Roddy's kids to cry in their suit. Hollywood hoped Piper wouldn't show up, and he wanted to tell the fans that Roddy ran for his life. But he saw one of his snot-nosed kids backstage, so he must be there despite being a skirt-wearing woman. And Hogan promises to celebrate Hollywood style because it isn't Rowdy Roddy Piper Day before saying he refuses to do movies with Stallone or Arnold because he does things his own way. Thunder in Paradise 2. Yeah. Starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, like you don't want to... Steven Seagal. Yeah. It's like you don't like you don't want to work with Schwarzenegger or Stallone. Come on. I think it's because you worked with Stallone once and he said, no thanks. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. I'd rather work with Dolph. He said, that doesn't work for me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's too American. I need an angry Russian. Or as Stallone would say, <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good impersonation. Hey. So we go to our sixth match Diamond, Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero in the finals of the WCW United States championship tournament i'm not mad at this lineup here no so the story behind this match was that wcw had vacated the title with rick flair being out like we said last time he yeah had to, Injury. couldn't defend it yeah the giant still had the belt though so wcw made a new one and proceeded to have a tournament to crown a new champion and ddp had defeaten jeff jarrett when the outsiders had distracted him followed by a bye to the finals after Arn and Luger had fought to a double countout. And Eddie had fought his way through Conan and Chris Benoit to make it to the finals. Look at that. Eddie's obviously the working babyface over here as DDP, you know, got that cheap buy. So they started off by exchanging shoves, chops, and takedowns until a dropkick sends the fight to the floor, where Guerrero whips Paige into the railing only for DDP to retaliate by ramming Eddie headfirst 
into the ring steps. DDP drags Guerrero up to the apron to deliver some more forearms, but a snapmare by Eddie takes Paige back out of the ring. And DDP's rolled in with Guerrero returning as well with a slingshot senton for a two count, before working the arm with Paige trying to escape with hair pulls to no avail. So Eddie returns the favor to knock DDP back down. And the ref begins to admonish Guerrero with Paige charging in only for Eddie to sidestep, sending DDP tumbling out to the floor, where Guerrero falls out with a slingshot biscotto. Now back in the ring, Eddie goes for a 10-count worth of punches, but Paige counters with a hot shot across the turnbuckle and a pancake slam. I love that. I love that when they just pick their legs up and walk out, but dump them back into the post. It's, uh, you know, classy and intelligent. DDP continues the punishment with stomps, suplexes, and an ab stretch with leverage, but then telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Guerrero to go for a sunset flip that Paige stays up and punches down on absolutely nothing, as Eddie has moved in time, Too quick for you, rolling up DDP for a near fall. Now Paige comes back with a swinging neck breaker and another ab stretch with leverage when the ref catches him this time sending DDP into an argument with him. And once Paige turns his attention back towards Guerrero, he gets rolled up for a two count, but DDP retaliates with a clothesline and a whip to a corner, charging in with a shoulder block. Paige tries for another, but this time Eddie moves, sending DDP shoulder first into the ring post, Posty. allowing Guerrero to fire up with right hands, European uppercuts, turnbuckle smashes, and a vertical suplex for a two count. And Eddie continues with a back suplex before heading up top for a frog splash, only for Paige to move out of the way. Now DDP hits a power slam for a two count. He continues with a gut buster before heading up top, only for Guerrero to fall into the ropes, causing Paige to crotch himself. And Eddie climbs up for a hurricanrana, but he's shoved off to the mat, only to land on his feet, so Guerrero is able to catch DDP leaping off the ropes with an inverted atomic drop. Nice. Before rolling Paige up for a near fall. Eddie, with a pair of backslides that get more two counts, goes for a head scissors, only for DDP to counter into a sit-out powerbomb for the pin, and no, Guerrero kicks out. That's fine. Paige tosses Eddie hard into a corner which he bounces right back for the two men to bump heads, leading to a double KO with Guerrero falling out to the floor. And the Outsiders and Six make their way down to ringside. And with the ref distracted, Hall jumps in to the ring to drill DDP with the Outsider's Edge. And Eddie has made it back to his feet, where he climbs up to the top rope to deliver a frog splash for the pin. And no win. And new post-match, Guerrero celebrates until he sees the NWO on the outside. He didn't know. And they decide to take Eddie out as well. But he fends them all off with drop kicks until the numbers become too much, allowing Hall and Nash to hold Guerrero while Six nails some kicks. And the kid also takes the new U.S. title belt. So the NWO still has all the belts, but no champions. Jerks. I love this shit. They didn't want to put DDP on his back clean, and 
DDP, he's the heel, but fans are behind DDP. It also helps cement the DDP face turn. Yeah. Because he's kind of been... Tween. Tweener. And now with his NWO storyline, basically, they're going to move him into the face territory. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Rocket on his back. Yeah, Yeah. great shit. And, you know, gives Eddie a win. Eddie looks strong the whole time and even looks strong against the NWO until it becomes a game of numbers, but he really gets his shit in. Yeah, damn. We're firing on all cylinders here, uh, and I'd like to point out that, you know, there's all these fucking idiots in the crowd wearing NWO shirts. There's a kid with a homemade t-shirt that just says uh, 100%, 100% WCW. It's like a homemade shirt, and I'm like, hell yeah, dude. This guy knows what's up. Nice. Fuck these geeks. <laughs> so Tony then talks about the NWO buying time to promote their pay-per-view. The NWO sold out. And this was the show that they got for winning War Games. And the commercial that they threw it to has been removed from the network. Okay, yeah. Uh, most likely because there is a bleeped fuck in the promo. Uh-oh. That's weird. Who did it? I mean, that's the only, that's the only reason I can think of. Yeah, it, may, it could be a music thing. It's literally just the uh, NWF music. Oh, okay. So it's the same stuff we've been hearing. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's weird because... Because I had both, I had both versions, so I went and checked it out. Yeah, out of curiosity, weird because I think that with the network, whenever they like edited these shows, they probably just had a bunch of different people doing it, and there was probably some discretion on what people chose to do and what not to do. Because like, there's some ECW shows where people curse even on the network, and sometimes it's beeped and blah 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 yeah. blah blah. So you know, it's probably just something where it's like it's obviously not a one man job, and I'm sure that. There's not one person combing through all these shows. No. Somebody's sometimes you, people miss stuff, or sometimes they don't know. Or don't a know team of, who to ask. Of people. Yeah. yeah, so makes sense. We then go to our seventh match: the Giant versus Lex Luger. So the match gets going with a long lockup, with the Giant just shoving Lex off. But then Luger responds with forearms, only to be continuously shoved off until the big man nails a running clothesline. The Giant with a elbow drop and a punk kick that sends Lex flying out of the ring, but then brings him back in the hard way. The Giant focuses attack on the back with forearms, stepping on him, and whipping Luger corner to corner. But he ends up telegraphing a back body drop, allowing Lex to rally, going for a body slam, only for the weight to be too much, causing the big man to fall on top for a two count. The Giant hits another elbow drop, a headbutt to the gut, and a running straddle across the ropes. Sends Luger to a corner and charges in with a crossbody, only for Lex to move, leaving the big man atop the turnbuckle. All the while, crowd pretty firmly behind Luger, because as many NWO shirts as you sell, Luger is over, and there's no way anybody is pro-Giant at this point, I feel like, after the last couple of years of having to watch a man that's not ready to be in his position be in his position. (laughs) But for some reason, Luger doesn't go for the rack, instead knocking the giant down to the mat, followed by charging into a corner, only to receive a big boot. The big man then goes for a dropkick, but Lex avoids and fires up with clotheslines, right hands, and a reverse neckbreaker. For the pin, and no, the big man presses him off. On to the ref. Ref bump. 
Nick Patrick then comes running down to the ring while Luger body slams the giant Anybody but him. before picking the big man up into the torture rack when Patrick would come in and kick the back of Lex's knee, causing them to crumple to the mat. Luger grabs Nick and shoves him out to the floor as Sting makes his way to ringside, all while Lex gets the giant back up into the rack. Six then jumps in the ring with a spinning heel kick to again knock Luger and the giant down to the mat. And Patrick and Six help the big man back to his feet. But when the Stinger enters the ring, the kid goes running before Sting shoves Nick out of the ring with the bat. Get him. And the Stinger drops the bat in the middle of the ring before grabbing both Luger and the Giant to whisper something to them. And then he just leaves. Some sweet nothings for the boys and he's out. The two men fight over possession of the bat with Lex gaining control after a low blow to the Giant before just beating him down with the baseball bat. Lex makes the cover as the ref wakes up to make the count for the pin and And the the win. win. Yeah! Post-match, Lex celebrates with the fans while the giant holds his head in pain. And Tony and Heenan say that Hogan hung the big man out to dry, only sending Patrick and Six but not Hall, Nash, or even Hollywood, came out to help. Yeah, where, where, was, where was Buff? Where was <laughs> whoever Wall else? Street. Wall Street, there we go. Bubba. There's one other one. Where's all these guys? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm loving Sting's an agent of chaos. Love the, like, this is the first real NWO loss. It is the first NWO yeah, loss. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, happy for Lex, and yeah, this was booked well. Yeah, Lex was in like full position to use the bat and still be a babyface. Yeah, anyone with all the odds against him? Jeez, what's the deal? What's going on? What's so special about the Star Trek '96? With Q-tips. Yeah, but yeah, Lex and Sid really doing the Lord's work uh, at the end of '96. But how long will it last for either man? So we go to our eighth match: Hollywood Hogan with Ted DiBiase, Vincent, and Miss Elizabeth versus Rowdy, Roddy Piper. And Michael Buffer makes our introductions. So let's get ready to not have a championship match. It's like champions out first, but it's not a championship belt match, so it's foreshadowing. They led people on that it was going to be a title match. But never in any of the advertising or even the announcers talking about it. Did they say it? Did they ever say that it was going to be for the belt? Yeah, I kind of assumed it. And then when it, this started, I was like, I kind of realized. I was like, okay, well, it's just this like grudge match. That... Piper, yeah, Piper came back for a grudge match. Piper never said anything about the belt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, like, we don't know. I mean, the contract signing also makes sense here because... They're not playing it off like Piper is in the WCW. They're playing it off like Piper's here. For himself. For himself. Yeah. yeah. And But the reason they never specifically ever said that it wasn't was they were worried that uh, there's not a title match, then people wouldn't buy the pay-per-view, basically. Obviously, they've never seen WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, with Roddy and Hogan, you don't need a belt. I mean, you don't, but I, I 
can see why people wouldn't buy a, a pay-per-view if there's not going to be a championship match. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, I mean, we haven't seen Roddy in so long. He's an icon and not the only one. There's, what about Strangler? Strangler Lewis or Dusty Rhodes. Or that's right. What would they George, do? Uh, George's George. Gorgeous yeah. George. Old George's Gorge. So Hollywood ends up sending Vincent and Miss Liz to the back with the belt. And then he stalls around ringside to start. But once he's in, the two men lock up in corners with Hollywood delivering slaps as an insult until Roddy fires back with right hands that knocks Hogan out of the ring. And in a fun moment, Piper ends up setting the ref on the turnbuckle to stop his 10 count, allowing Hollywood all the time he needs to get back in the ring. I know, I love it. He just pops him up like a kid in a seat. I know, Pee-wee's, Pee-wee's face was just like... <laughs> he did a great job of it. It's like, whoa. Thanks, uh, Mr. Piper. Yeah. But once Hollywood gets back in the ring, he takes control with eye pokes and back rakes. Mm. Even if some of them were to the chest. Until Rowdy avoids a charge into a corner. Laying it in with clotheslines and right hands that send Hogan rolling out to regroup. Back in, Piper grabs a side headlock and just doesn't let go. As Hollywood tries to fight out of it. But he finally does get out of it by shoulder-blocking Rowdy through the ropes to the floor. And Hollywood follows out to stay on the attack with more eye pokes and back rakes before rolling in only to miss a clothesline, allowing Piper to fire back with a clothesline of his own. Rowdy with a drop kick that sends Hogan out, but this time Piper gives chase, running Hollywood into several guardrails and whipping Hogan with his belt that he usually wears around his kilt. Yeah, yeah. Leather leather to leather. What a sound. Back in the ring, the whipping continues before turning into choking with the belt until the ref can remove it from the ring. And Rowdy body slams Hollywood, and he goes to run the ropes when DiBiase trips him up from the outside. So Piper begins to stalk after Ted, allowing Hogan to attack from behind running Rowdy into guardrails and ring steps, followed by knocking him into the front row. Hollywood eventually brings the fight back into the ring and starts kicking at Piper's hip, before applying an ab stretch, only for Rowdy to escape with a hip toss. And Piper smacks Hogan right in the face with a double sledge, and he goes to run the ropes, only for DiBiase to again trip him up, with both men just falling on each other to brawl momentarily. And back to their feet, Rowdy rolls up Hollywood for a two-count, before the two trade eye-rakes and right hands, with Piper gaining the advantage to suplex Hogan for a near-fall. Rowdy misses a knee drop, allowing Hogan to go for a leg drop, only for Piper to move as well. And Rowdy starts doing his bunny hop, kicking Hollywood around, when the giant would make his way into the ring to grab Piper by the throat. And while the big man has Rowdy up in the air, a fan decides to rush the ring. He's feeling the way I'm feeling right now. So Hogan and the ref have to subdue him till security can pull him out of the ring. And Hollywood finally turns his attention back to the match, only to be kicked away by Piper, followed by Rowdy biting the giant on the nose to cause him to release Piper. Hell yes. Rowdy then shoves the big man over the ropes to the floor, ducks a clothesline from Hogan, and locks on a sleeper. Get him. And Piper takes him down to the mat, 
where the ref checks on him once, twice, and the arm goes down again on the third try for the ref stoppage and the win. Fucking Wild. yes. Oh my god. Fuck. I was so, so nervous this whole match that Hogan just got Roddy to come back to do the job. And it makes it feel so good that he didn't have to. Rowdy celebrates as fireworks go off, with the giant walking off to the back. When the outsiders arrive, the piper fends them all off before escaping out of the ring to head to the back, passing by the big man, who's just staring down the NWO. He feels ostracized. Hogan, Hall, and Nash then stalk after the giant down the aisle. When the big man starts yelling at them, asking where they were, during his match. And Hollywood just tells him that he dropped the ball. But the giant disagrees and leaves. Hogan then demands Vincent bring him his belt. That he's still champion. With Shivani mocking him for losing the match. But Hollywood holds his belt up yelling. Non-title. Piper I killed you. Spitting on the lens. As we go to credits. I love it. Hogan looks like a fucking geek at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. And Paul White learned that crime doesn't pay. WCW got two big wins over these fucking dick bags. And I couldn't be happier. Couldn't state it enough. The Roddy didn't do the job. And Hogan passed out on him. You could say that Ken would be better or him actually tapping. But you choke a man out, you choke a man out. I mean, as many years as we've seen the... Hogan arm drop thing happened to only act. to bounce back for his quick little Hulk up and I then know. the match ends 30 seconds later it was very reassuring and refreshing and all of those other rewords it was perfect, to... it was like the first time Hogan didn't yeah. do the thing I mean obviously he doesn't quite do that as Hollywood Hogan it's but you know like the Hogan that we've watched in Japan that we all like oh this is a good one it's like he made an appearance in WCW on this. Yeah, he was taking suplexes from Roddy Piper. Not taking. It's one of those things too. It's nice to know that he actually, I assume, respects Roddy Piper because he's not just gonna bump for anyone. You better respect Roddy. I mean, obviously, he wouldn't have this shit without Roddy. No. People wouldn't have reacted the same way to Hogan versus anybody else back in 1984. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts? Starcade nineteen ninety six. I stand corrected. There is a good Starcade. What a fucking show! It's like, yeah, top to bottom, nothing on the show sucks. I was nervous. I was. Just, I was waiting for the bot, like for the bottom to fall out. Really good, point. and much like World War Three, I was waiting for that halfway mark to hit, and then just be like, for the last hour and a half of the show. But no, they, they, they. Pulled the rug out from under me, whatever, and got you excited about yeah. wrestling. This is the, is this the best Starcade, top to bottom? Yes, I believe Easily. so. Like this is a must-watch show. It's great. I couldn't. I don't have. I don't know if I have any negative things to say. <laughs> really, there's variety. All of the schmas interference stuff makes it's story, sense it's storyline yeah it's storyline yes. stuff and it's, it's all and it's all like the psychology of it all is it's not completely overdone. sound yeah completely sound there wasn't you know they kept the stupidity to a minimum and 
yeah, it everything flowed as we always hope it would. I mean, best Hogan match in a very long time. Best Outsiders match in WCW mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for both men. A great six matches to start the show. Yeah, and then even, uh, <laughs> you know, Lex and Giant was good. Lex got what we needed. And the giant is interesting now. Yeah. And two NWO losses. And big losses. Absolutely. Goddamn. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Uh, I don't know if there's any bad ones. It's really hard to pick because the show is so... Ultimo Dragon has nine title belts yeah. yeah it's pretty that's almost laughably uh laughable but it's cool it's just like nine title belts it just seems how it's ridiculous but hey he's obviously uh good we love him i got nothing bad to say about him yeah ultimo was fun piper uh, promo lagger mysterio was fun benoit and Jarrett. i enjoyed that we got a yeah. what, what was your favorite match of the show that's almost impossible, I feel like. Uh, um, it's tough. I almost have to go with Piper and Hogan because Hogan did the right thing. And you know, I, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, whereas like all of the matches were good, but I was truly invested in that one as I didn't know the outcome. And like the outcome wasn't as important in the other matches, but like they were better in-ring and more to my typical wrestling taste. But, I mean... That's a hard one. Yeah, it's like... It was, like I like the Ultimo, Dean one. But, and then Liger and Ray. See, I, I almost asked if you guys wanted to put Ultimo and Dean on a list. Yeah, I think that Ultimo Dean is better than uh, Liger and Ray. And Liger and Ray is still a fucking great match. Yeah. yeah. But so the Ultimo and Dean, you know, it had that... It had something a little extra special. For sure. Yeah. What was the worst match? The women's title. I mean, yeah. yeah. And it was still good and nice to see. And then, yeah. yeah the, was, the women's it was title still one, just because there was no build-up to it really whatsoever. It was just like, oh, here we go. We're having a women's championship match. You know, one of my... I mean, there was that one botch that kind of yeah. messed, messed up the flow of the match a little bit there at the very end. Yeah, it did. But... Yeah, sadly, there was a lot of Medusa showing in this match and not much Alundra. It's like she... She she lost I mean, her. She probably she's only wrestled probably like five times in the last year. I'm yeah, like, you can't really. You're lucky that she's it's kept in as good a shape and as she just, has. It made me feel bad for her just because we know she can be great. Even though and I didn't was really, good. I wasn't a huge fan of what she wore in WWF. She just looked like Missy Hyatt, like she was wearing like, old Missy Hyatt we can, gear. We, we, we can just it. all say it. Yay for boobs. But those are way too big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing that I really, really loved that is not by any means important, but Akira Hokuto's walk to the ring gear yeah. is insane. It's fucking awesome. It's so cool. She looks like something out of like a sci-fi movie. She, like She had like that white lion look to yeah, her. Yeah, she, well, she But then she has like a cyberpunk like mask yeah. hose yeah. that like, goes, it looks like she's out of like, you know, David Lynch's Dune or something. It's a, a great look. And then she takes her stuff off and she's got like makeup on her face and nose that makes her face look like a fucking big cat. Mm-hmm. And she has gear that is obviously... 
influential, and I'm sure that it was common at the time in, uh, like, for Joshi wrestling. There's, like, very, very busy. the United States women's wrestling of, here, just, you know, wear a push-up bra and some short shorts. Yeah, she's... You're a wrestler now. Yeah, she's coming out of, um, like, what everybody says is, like, the best era for women's wrestling, like, the the golden era of Joshi was like the nineties in all Japan, which we haven't covered much of, but we've seen a little bit, but it is the like kind of standard bear for women's wrestling. I feel like to this day and Hokuto comes out of that. Whereas Medusa has uh, been working very little. And I think she did a good job considering, but if this was Akira Hokuto versus like Miami Toyota or something, we would have got a completely different looking match. Oh, absolutely. Anything disappointing on this show? I can give you two. All right, let's hear them. Deborah's promo. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to include Mongo's, because I mean, package deal. What's what's his is hers, and hers is his. And that stuff. that whole. I mean, I like the fact that the three guys just were like, "I'm not talking to Mean Gene." I thought that was cool. I love that because they're upset about what just happened in the match. But then Mongo and Deborah come out, and their promo is just absolutely horrible. It doesn't and, serve any real, real. I mean, a little bit of a purpose. And the second thing is the NWO coming out at the end of DDP and Eddie. Like, I know what it sets up, which is cool. Yeah. But, like, let Eddie have his moment mm-hmm. with the belt. I, I uh, do agree with that, but I'm less low on it just because it does make sense. But I would have loved to see... Eddie go over like completely clean the positive. I mean the sh- the shenanigans to get Eddie to the win. I don't care. It's the stealing of the belt. That's the part that. Oh, like, okay, that's that. That's yeah. the part that bothers me. Yeah, because let him hold it up. Let him hold it up. Let him celebrate. Let him walk out of the ring with the belt. Okay, okay, that that makes more sense. And I then see steal what it from him on Nitro. Sure, you can you can beat him down the next night and take it from him, and that's fine. Where's Randy? There, there was no savage. There was no savage. That's a very good point. I mean, he may just—he's been carrying WCW for a little while, so maybe sure. just giving him a little bit of a break. Also, to... Piper's here. Like, what are we gonna do with Randy? I feel like if Randy's on the show, even though he's been around, yeah, it takes was... a little bit away from Randy's Piper. Here, then maybe we wouldn't have got that stupid Mongo and Deborah interview. <laughs> but I, I would prefer but, Randy. But who, to... but who does Randy face? Yeah, he just come down there and. I mean. Do we put him against Jeff Jarrett? I'm like... No. No. Everything on the show is so good that, like, I didn't even realize Randy wasn't there until the show was over, and it's fine for... I'd rather have Randy not on this show at all than Randy on commentary. Like, sometimes you gotta go away to get excited about him again, and, like, if he comes back and uh, joins the NWO, that's a big deal. If he comes back and... uh, joins and and like sides with WCW to start trying to take down the NWO also exciting so you know whenever he comes back there's plenty of things to do with him but sometimes a guy's got to go away absolutely how about best performer of the night it's also a tough one I think I I think I was so high on Dean with World War uh, 3 and obviously this match is uh better but this whole show is better like i said i'm so high on pipe jazzed on piper at, at this point that uh i mean I, to be honest i was like that match 
it was whatever. Like I did, wasn't ever expecting like a great match between Piper and Hogan. Well, yeah, because it was literally punches, back rakes, and eye pokes. Like literally, that's all the match is for sure. But that's like kind of pipe. That's that's Piper in a way too. It's like he's, it is. Yeah, he's got a totally. So, I mean, different I can't style. I can't give best performer to Piper, even though I love his promo. Yeah, and then even with the win, like I, I want to give it to Hogada just for her entrance. <laughs> like her entrance alone was was enough to win me over. Yeah, just I think because it was yeah. that was that majestic. I think Eddie was great and was feeling himself in that match, and it I came mean, across in his face. And uh, Eddie was great in, in the match, and then fending off the NWO at the end, like he he looked like the guy. Yeah, he did look. He looked like you know he's always been. Good, but they've, he they've felt like treated, a guy. It feels like they've always treated him well in WCW too. Like we were surprised the first time he kind of showed up, and like they let him last to like final six or whatever in World War Three in '95. Like we were completely yeah. shocked that he was still yeah. there. So I mean, they're not booking him poorly, poorly yeah, at, by any means. So it's a slow go filled with smaller wins, and here's a big one. Would have been nice if he could. Yeah. Celebrated it, but you know we covered that. How about most surprising? I mean, is it, Piper is it one. Piper one. Yeah, really thought that we truly know that. Or that Piper one without like some. Yeah. More shenanigans than what there was. No, yeah, basically. the shenanigans were like I said. This might be the show with the best use of shenanigans and storytelling to justify outcomes, like where you like can't yeah. really poke too many holes in it. Yeah, I mean, that has to be it. Because my assumption going into this and, like, why I was like, okay, it's a star K. You don't know what you're going to get. And I'm like, well, Hogan is just going to bring him in to fucking beat him. It's just like your assumption knowing yeah, what you know about Hogan. That's literally what you think. Yeah. yeah. So, like, doing that, not letting that happen, and then the rest of the show being pretty fuck, like, fucking great, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's the cherry on top. Absolutely. Even if Hogan, even if Piper lost, this would still be a must-watch show because of everything that happened before it. But now it's mandatory. I feel like <laughs> is this? Do you know if this is wild? Uh, like widely considered the best Starcade? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. Just curious. I mean, obviously that's just you know opinion is opinion, but I feel like top to bottom, this one. I will not forget, and when people say, what's a good Starcade, I imagine this one will come to me first. Four is the worst. This list here says Starcade 88 is number one, 86, number two, 83 is number three. I mean, people are going to love the 80 ones. Yeah, for sure. That's totally understandable. 87, 92... 96 is listed as number 8 of the 18. Huh. Maybe it's just On recency bias, specific but I'm like, place. damn, what a show, top to bottom. And it might be one of those things where we just came off but of, that's like, the entire show as well, too. Let's a, see. A pretty abysmal World War III. They could have been... Yeah, you know, that could have been worse, but that does... And we watch these things, and just, like, we've been taught for the last handful of months that the NWO doesn't fucking lose, and... The NWO got some chinks in the armor now. Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Uh, this 
week the category is Survivor. Yay. <laughs> Favorite category. We're going to go back and forth naming wrestlers. Jesus Christ. That we have covered in 1993 oh my gosh. and 1994. Oh, brother, brother. There are only 322 of them. God damn it, dude. Why are you doing this to us? thought we were all friends. And Michael, you get to go first. I'm trying to decide. I guess I gotta save obscure ones for later because we can all say things like Hulk Hogan. Is that your selection? Oh, yeah. Okay. Shane? The Undertaker. Sting. Luger. Ric Flair. We'll go with Cactus Jack. Okay. The British Bulldog. Okay. Vader. That's correct. Bret Hart. Absolutely. Shawn Michaels. Okay. Owen Hart. Yes, sir. Stunning Steve Austin. Yep. Flying Brian Pillman. Yep. Too Cold Scorpio. Too Cold is in there. Mm-mm. Wonder where you get the idea for that one. <laughs> <laughs> the Macho Man Randy Savage. There he is. Okay, I was like, <laughs> two years. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. Paul Orndorff, yes. Love him. Rick Rude? Yes. Ron Simmons? Yes. Butch Reed? Are you telling me that Butch Reed didn't wrestle between 93 and 94? Ten points to Shane. Oh my god! See, I couldn't remember for sure. I was, fuck, I can't believe I fucked that up so bad. I have so many other ones up here that I was hiding at the top that I was like, names that I thought of that I could... Use later. Ah, uh, you and, yourself. And you said Ron Simmons. I was like, yeah, well, Butch Reed. But Busted Heads of Doom, I guess, is more, uh, yeah, Doom you know, was... 90 to 92, probably. Yeah. Fuck. See, I was trying to remember Fuck. if Butch Reed Fuck. came back as an opponent for Ron when he won the championship, but I couldn't remember if he ever showed up. God damn it. If he did, we never saw him. Yeah. I'm so not... pissed off. That's, remember... that's the biggest thing is we just never saw him. You know who I was... He wrestled Barbarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wrestled Cactus Jack. And I think he had one other... Off the wall. I can't believe that shit. I was holding on Greg Valentine, who I figured you might forget, or maybe, uh, you know, a uh, Tom Zink, my man Tom Zink. You know, people that I've had some some locked away for uh, later. And you said Ron Simmons, like, yeah, we'll put Reed. Well, I'm not going to go through the list of the other 280 something names. No, please don't. <laughs> but I, can, I know those guys wrestled. Paul Roma. Paul yeah, Roma was a good one. Next week, we're going to have. Continue the list, but we can't name any of these ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I truly can't believe that I did that. Yeah, see? Now, welcome to my world. I've done I mean, it hey, on yeah, all, we, like every survivor that we've done this time and last time. That's true. I mean, I don't know if it's completely true, but it's... Uh, no, it's yeah, true, because yeah. I, I went gung-ho on my WrestleManias last time and yeah. said the wrong one. I just figured maybe Butchery had I said to have Brooklyn like a Brawler when we never had a Brawler match. Yeah. Dang. Next week, making their way to the ring, volume two. Uh-oh. Hey man, uh, you know, 96 is wrapped up. 
making their way to the ring is all the trivia questions combined into one show. I'm sure that uh, it's uh, moderately funny. And I've been told that we're going to have a little fun, a little turning of the tables as a bonus feature. So, Oh, that kind of turning of the tables. Yeah. So we're going to have to put our heads so, together, come up with some stuff to stumble Matt, Matt. I mean, if he's doing 20 questions, like, I think that's kind of his game. He's a fan of it. But he typically is the one who gets to pick the people. This time, yeah, he, he's not going to know the answers. He's only going to be able to think of the questions. But you can check that out next week. The music from this week's show is Over the Edge by Steve Everett. And Piper won our main event, so we play his theme music, The Green Hills of Tyrol by Sandy Davidson. And if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Watch Starcade 1996. Five stars or no stars. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Holy shit, does this mean I don't have to get any food next week? I mean, if you really want to bring us something, Ooh. you can. Yeah, I think, you, I think you can take a break, brother. Dang, this is... This is... Wow, I'm I'm stumped. Uh, Hopefully, I'm not next week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but either way, uh, we're gonna be going some places soon. Philly is always a, an option. I think we're probably gonna be hitting Japan sometime soon here because Absolutely. it's the beginning of the year. So give me some some ideas for food and drink, or uh if 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 you're just listening to this and just want to shout out something, send us a. A zeet. God, that sounds so stupid. Still, it's, thanks. It, I think I think it just says post. I think it's just a post. Yeah, but well, zeet is funny. Jump on. He would have been really funny if he called it a zeet. Jump on the X and send us a message, whether it be in our DMs or just you know at us, and let us know what's going on. Where are you listening from? What are you doing? What? Who's who's your favorite of '96? What was your favorite match that we covered or did not cover? We just want to hear from you. Talk to yeah. us. I mean, honestly, your favorite match we didn't cover it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see that. If you have any of those things, you can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Love you, Butch Reed.